Welcome to another edition of the Oscar Central Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob. Um, and today we are going to be, be talking about sequels at the Oscars and um, going over the supporting actress race. We have been on for about 30 minutes talking about a lot of stuff, but we haven't talked much about movies. So, Nicole, um, what have you been seeing this week? What did I see this week? The way that truly I was like, what have I seen? Um, No, I've seen a couple of things this week. I unfortunately um, finally saw Amsterdam, uh, which was bad. I have a review coming, so keep an eye out on the site for that. But it truly is the kind of bad where it's like just, A, don't see it because we don't want to support David O. Russell, but also like it's just not worth seeing. On the other hand, something very worth seeing is I got to see My Father's Dragon, which is a new animated film from Netflix Animation and Cartoon Saloon. Um, and it doesn't come to Netflix until like November 11th, but it was at the London Festival. So that's why they have reviews out for it now. And it is so darling. It is like as beautifully animated as you would expect from Cartoon Saloon. I love all their work. It's the same director who did The Breadwinner um, and the same writer who did Inside Out. So that right there, you know, it's great. And it's um, Jacob Tremblay and uh, Gaten Matarazzo um, are the main voice performances. And literally maybe my favorite voice performances in the last like five years. Um, it's so cute. It very much is a coming of age story, but sort of about a boy who has to learn that like he doesn't have to take responsibility for everything. Um, trying to help his like single mom, which I really loved. It's so cute. And I definitely think it's something that we should like keep in mind for best animated uh, film at the Oscars. I think it's stands a really good shot to get a nomination. Obviously it's Cartoon Saloon, so like they have a very good track record. And um, I think if Netflix pushes it, it could do really well. Like, I don't, I don't think it'll win, but I think it, it's definitely deserves and it probably will get a spot in the category. Yeah. And what she meant by favorite voice performance was that was until Mario comes out. Um, um, absolutely not. Uh, Jillian, what have you been seeing this week? Too much. Um, yeah. This is... I can't remember like the last time where like I saw like so many new releases in like a short span of time and I can see why I've never done that before. Um, I started off the week with Triangle of Sadness on Wednesday, which was an amazing time. And I highly recommend watching it with an audience because it was probably one of my favorite movie theater experiences. And then the next day, our work decided to have a screening of Women Talking with Frances McDormand. Like, it literally, it kind of felt like a focus group because she wanted to know our opinions and everyone was, like, too scared to give an opinion because, um, like, her agents were there and stuff. But it was, like, a really fun, not fun movie because it's very sad, but I guess I think the experience was fun. Um, but, yeah, I liked that one. I think it was in our TIFF episode, we talked about, like, someone talked about the cinematography, so I would say that mm -hmm. probably distracting about the color palette, but all in all, I thought it was a good script, and a lot of actresses I feel like I haven't seen on screen in a while, like, I missed Rooney Mara so much, and just a very powerful film that I recommend for, like, a lot of, especially, like, young people to watch, and there's, like, a part of it 
words I wouldn't call it a plot twist but it was just like whoa like it was a good reveal um so that was cool now I kind of want to read the book and then obviously saw Tar on Thursday and that was 10 out of 10 review coming soon had a fun time um and yeah I was supposed to see After Sun but I was like I've done too much this week and so that's another time but yeah yeah, don't remind me that you skipped after Sun. Um, Kenzie, what have you been seeing this week? Um, I got to go to the Beyond Fest screening of Triangle of Sadness, which was so fun. That movie's amazing with the crowd. I wrote a review for it for the site. I really loved it, but I understand why it doesn't work for some people. Um, it's a very aggressive satire, but I really enjoyed it. Um I'm not sure if I like it more than The Square, but I actually think I like it more than Force Majeure, but I'm unsure. But I really do love um, Ruben Ostlin as a filmmaker, and I really hope it's able to at least get into original screenplay, but we'll see. Um, and then I also saw Tar. I got to go to a Q&A with Kay Blanchett, which was incredible. She is so powerful in that movie. It's crazy that so many years into her career, she's able to give a performance that is probably her best. Like, I don't think it's recency bias. I really do think it's one of her most powerful and just like layered and intricate performances. Um, And Nina Haas is just stunning. But Todd Field making a movie again, like, I kind of get it. Maybe like he did need to wait and that's why it's so incredible but it's just depressing that we have such an amazing filmmaker like him that we waited 16 years for another film um didn't something happen at the screening that you would like to share with everyone no i don't want to share but you can (laughs) if if you're interested you can message me because i literally could not sleep after um but i i love that movie so much i actually moved it up to my number one of the year I have had the same number one of the year since March, so that it was quite a big deal for me. Um, but I absolutely loved it, and I will probably never stop talking about it. But that's kind of it. I am curious to see how much I pull off seeing this week because my husband's getting his wisdom teeth out, but I should be seeing Halloween Kills till and somehow the menu's still this week, but we will see. If you are listening and you need to go to the dentist, do it. Don't wait. Don't wait. Um, Sorry, I wasn't listening. Did someone say anything? <laughs> if you're if you're listening or on the podcast and need to go to the dentist, <laughs> you should go. Whoop, gotta go. Bye, guys. <laughs> do you not like the dentist, Lexi? I am so sincerely terrified. Like it's not. I know. Oh, no I love the dentist. the dentist. Oh, no. I love the dentist. I love. Okay, the they're well, literally on opposite sides of the scale. The dentist, but I like. It's not even just like I'm scared. It's like I literally have to be sedated for a basic cleaning because I will have a panic attack because I get worried I'm going to choke on my own tongue. I'm worried I'm going to swallow a. You can't uh, choke your own pool. tongue. It stays. No, it doesn't. Um, I'm scared. I'm going to. How gonna do you feel about the dentist pool. scene in um Little Shop? Okay, I love Little Shop so much. <laughs> I fast forward through that scene every time. And I was in New York recently and I considered seeing 
um, the off-Broadway Little Shop of Horrors and who plays the dentist but my darling Christian Borel and I didn't go because I was like I will throw up I will projectile vomit <laughs> like I can't mm, I can't no I can't do it just thinking about it Ugh. I I didn't know there was a different dentist like with like kids and adults and then when I turned 18 I had to go to a different one and that was really sad because I didn't get like toys and everything but I still love the dentist mm-hmm. it's like my favorite place to go um well what about you what have you seen this week me yeah okay um I have seen what have I seen uh on Friday I watched Catherine called birdie um I really really liked it I thought it was really cute um I'm not typically a Lena Dunham fan uh, so I was a little worried, but I actually think she did a very good job with this. Um, granted, she had a book to kind of use as a source material, but uh, it was really cute, really charming. I think Bella Ramsey is just going to be a big breakout star. Um, her comedic timing is just spot on, but she also did a really good job with the um, emotional scenes. She's going to be in The Last of Us with my number two, uh, Pedro Pascal. So now I'm doubly excited for that show because I get both of them. Um, and then today I saw Bros. Yes, I did. Exciting. And what as always, I oh watched- my god, you know what? I mm-hmm. forgot I saw Bros. Mm. Yes. Bros. And then as always, I watched Twilight New Moon multiple times throughout the week. Um, and finally, Anna, what have you been seeing this week? It's very strange. I didn't watch a single film, but I finished four shows. Which, yes. so, it's just very strange. Um, I finished Harley Quinn on HBO, the animated series, which is so fun. And it's great background. Like, I watch it, but it's great to watch while you're doing computer work or whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. That was very fun. My mother wanted to watch Dahmer. So... I watched Dahmer with her um, the entire show. Um, I watched The Midnight Club by uh, my lord and savior, Mike Flanagan, which was fantastic. Review is up now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just finished Bly Manor. I do a yearly rewatch of Bly Manor by Mike Flanagan, of course. I love Bly and Manor so much. I love... I, it wrecks me every single time and it hurts because you know what's coming but I so yeah it's you know my watches have been like spooky themed for the most part um so that's good but yeah no films this week very strange I will change that next week but um yeah that's it cool um I have only this week rewatched After Sun um which again was really tough it was even tougher the second time like Anna said knowing what's coming is like harder to watch um and of course Adriana couldn't be here because of Canadian Thanksgiving but he did want me to tell people that he watched Wii this week I mean I don't know if he did or didn't but he probably did Wait, um, didn't, didn't he watch something else important this week too me no Adriana oh the alligator. He watched his beloved oh, alligator. Did not film. get yeah. a like full symposium Lyle. on Lyle Lyle Crocodile. Yeah, <laughs> that's really sad. We need to be more cautious of the Canadian calendar so we can allow him the platform. To I think I think uh, Sean Mendes 
should have known better than releasing his movie the weekend of Canadian Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's why he has the tip award. Yeah. He was no, he did that on purpose so that families would have time off to go see it. Oh, that's true. How he we should let Adriana like, do a solo I, episode on Lyle Lyle Crocodile. You know what it is? You know how Steven Spielberg is releasing the Fablements on Thanksgiving for us? Like yep. Sean Mendes is <laughs> yes. Steven Spielberg. Listen, yes. one of us is going to moderate a Q&A with Adriano hey. about Lyle Lyle Crocodile. <laughs> only, only one of, we'll only one Lyle of Steven Lyle. Spielberg. I was going to say only one of Steven Spielberg or Sean Mendes has an award named after them at TIFF. So that's true. That's very you know, true. You get Sean Mendes to be a guest for this one. Who? Brett Gelman. Can we get him to be a guest? I mean, actually, though, and let's call like, Brett Gelman Field to be my second favorite Stranger Things character. Thank you. I think um, we should get the two of them and then Zen on and just have like a great big panel. <laughs> Wait, you should have Zen moderate. Zen would do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Would, oh, would, kid. I'm I'm ready for an Adriano on actors segment. Like, <laughs> oh no, he just beats up actors. I would love. I would literally love if it was learn... Zen and it was Sean Mendes, but he had to be CGI'd as the alligator. I was gonna say I would literally <laughs> learn Adobe After Effects to like motion capture Sean Mendes as Lyle Lyle. No, someone has the costume. They've been wearing it yeah. all around New York. We just need yeah. to get it. We need to get it. And like we need I, Adriano, wear it. The Sony I have been trying costume. I've been trying so hard to get um, Austin Butler stuff from the set of Elvis, but it's all in mm. Australia, so it's very hard to come by. But yeah. I'm like, should I focus that energy <laughs> to getting the alligator you costume? You, yes. you need yes. If you're asking, yes. I should. I should do it. Um, moving on to news. Oh God! Um, first <laughs> up, like good news. First up, uh, we could talk about Apollo Ten and a Half was deemed ineligible for Best Animated Feature. I do know that um, they are trying to appeal it, but they haven't heard anything back uh, since September, like twelfth or anything. Um, and the Academy's declined to comment on everything but what's everyone's thoughts about it apparently um the animation director is saying that it is because of the rotoscoping which is less than 20 percent of the movie as a whole so what's everyone's thoughts i guess i'll start with kenzie because i also want to double it and say what do you think is going to happen with our our favorite little friend marcel so what do you think okay I didn't even think about Marcel because I was so worked up about how infuriating this is because we always joke and kind of not joke that this category has become the Pixar Disney trophy. And it's very insulting that a movie like this, which truly like redefines what animation can be used Mm -hmm. for is considered ineligible because it's just like a different kind of animated movie. And I feel like they kind of just shun anyone who isn't just following the rules, which is like like the old kind of like animation rules, not just like the Academy eligibility kind of rules. Mm-hmm. And it's just really frustrating because 
animation is not a genre it is a type of film and it's like I'm sorry the movie isn't like a kid's movie per se and they're kind of it just seems like they're taking it out on like an individual kind of film versus Mm -hmm. the approach of what they're claiming this is which I'm also just very confused about because the whole thing with Marcel is that it fits a criteria of how much what percentage of the movie is animated so the fact that the rotoscoping is under 20% or at 20% but 20% is also the indicator for like how much of a a movie is animated to be in the category it would just be very weird if Marcel is eligible but this is not Mm -hmm. um I really hope they go back on it during like the appeals process and they allow it to be eligible. I have a hard time with animation, like just watching it, going out of my way to watch it. But I did watch this and I really loved it. And I thought it was so innovative and cool. And to think it's not even a consideration is so bizarre. Like we're just getting Mm -hmm. so many, like there are so many movies that like are going to take its place if it's ineligible and it's like Lightyear was bad Lightyear was a bad movie like but you know that the money behind it is going to push its way in and it's just like that's so frustrating but I'm really worried about my friend Marcel um I don't think this is good for Marcel Mm-mm. no I but agree maybe it's good for Marcel and adapted screenplay maybe maybe uh, um does anyone else have any more thoughts on um the decision yeah i think it's a shame i'm very curious to see sort of if their appeal is successful at all um and i'm very curious to see if this is something that they actually like kind of crack down on in the future because it feels Mm -hmm. like there definitely have been nominees in the past that like squeaked by that like loving vincent i was thinking about loving vincent and i don't want to come for a film that i actually like but um yeah but that's yeah, but, you know, sort of speaking to what you were saying, Kenzie, about this not just becoming, like, the Disney Pixar category, that's part of why earlier I was, like, I want to hype up um, My Father's Dragon, because it is, like, a non-Pixar Disney film that is in this category, but I'm really curious to see what happens with all all of this and sort of if they're going to clarify on Marcel the Shell at any point. Mm-hmm. soon and sort of what that means for that and it it feels like I don't want to take this as a final statement yet um since we know that they've appealed but I am afraid that they are going to stick to it and I I just kind of feel like it's a shame to see that category sort of get made um smaller when films already struggle to get seen in there if they're not you know mm-hmm. yeah busy. and I think I think uh I think Linklater even said um, regarding the ruling that if the Academy starts doing this, then a lot of studios will stop having animated movies like this um, just because they aren't quote unquote deemed animated by the awards bodies. Um, So it is, it is frustrating just because I feel like animation's hitting a point where I feel like animation's hitting a point where it's getting too uber realistic i mean i love soul but if you took you could take shots of soul and just say that it's live action new york and no one would know the difference and so to see something that is like fully animated and you know as this indywire article says took over 200 animators and over two years to do um it just is kind of like 
interesting that they that, that like this is the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, but moving on, um, I'll talk about this one last. Glass Onion finally got uh, told that it was going to be in all theater chains nationwide. I think it was over 600 theaters. Um, it's only for one week. It's only for Thanksgiving week. Um, but it's massive. It's the first Netflix movie that has ever been in any of the major studio or theater chains. Um, and it just proves that Netflix kind of has, you know, their foot behind uh, Glass Onion and trying to push it and give it a real, um, a real release. Uh, Anna, do you have anything you want to say about the Glass Onion release? Um, I think it's exciting. I think a week makes me sad because this, it's so fun. Like people, families would love it. I mean, people love Knives Out first time around in theaters. It definitely is one that should be seen in a theater. And it just makes me sad knowing that for a lot of viewers, it's going to be thrown on and then they're going to go make dinner and then they're going to go, you know, check the mail quick and then come back and it's like this is this is a movie this is like a one that deserves to be seen in the theater um but you know I don't want to be too picky we got to be grateful for what we have so this makes me happy I think they saw the reactions um and reviews and opinions out of TIFF and the festivals and they're going like oh we really could make more money in the theater too for a week um and get more people talking about it. So it makes me happy. Although, you know, I wish it could have a normal run, like a theatrical yeah. run, but. No, I agree. And I remember, I remember when the whole Netflix theater thing started to happen. Um, it was really back. I can't remember the year, but everyone knows that Netflix, or at least Regal does the, all the best picture nominees, but the year Roma was nominated, they, refused to show Roma because it was a Netflix movie. And then every year after, um, at least for the theaters around me, the kind of best picture nominees being played in the theater has gone down as the streamers have gone up. But I like, I remember last year, I remember seeing Coda in a Regal theater and I've seen other, you know, Amazon prime video has movies in theaters all the time. Um, so it's just been weird that it's, been solely Netflix, but it is nice to see that it's they're giving it, you know, a chance. Uh, does anyone else have anything about Glass Onion that they want to talk about? Um, I think it's funny because isn't that the week that the Fablemans goes wide? Because I know it comes out early here in LA. I think so. I'm pretty sure that's the week the Fableman goes wide. Um, which is uh, November 11th is the Fablemans wide sure. release. Oh, oh really? yeah. No, 23rd is wide release. Yes. Okay. So because what's really funny is my mom texts me about movie news. Like, I don't know about it. It's really mm -hmm. nice. But she was so excited about Glass Onion because she was like, we, they love seeing Knives Out in theaters. And she was like, we're all going to go. Like, she's so excited. And I'm like, I feel like that's what they thought the Fablemans was going to be. And it's really funny because now there's this like, one week only for glass mm -hmm. onion yep. and i'm like people are gonna go out of their way to go through with that and like i live in la where it is easy to go to movies versus like right now we have tar and triangle of sadness whereas 
I'm telling all my friends to go see it. And they're like, when? Like, when? Like, Nicole gets it yep. at the end of the month? Mm-hmm. Like, yep. it's it's really, like, it's getting harder to recommend movies because these smaller movies, it's not, like, one-week delay like it used to be. It's, like, three, four-week delays. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard for them. But they're doing it to gain momentum, which... I think will work for Triangle of Sadness. I'm not really sure about Tar. I feel like if you're interested in Tar, you're going to see Tar. Um, but Glass Onion, it's so funny because right now, like, you're seeing, like, Top Gun Maverick is still making money at the movie theater. Like, mm-hmm. like Avatar got extended. It was supposed to be two-week engagement. It's getting extended. Like, there are people are going to the movies to see things more than once. Mm-hmm. Like, like Elvis was in theaters for so long. Forever. <laughs> and, like, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is still in theaters here. It is really wild to me. But it's because people are going to see things multiple times. And whether or not that has anything to do with, like, there were a few weeks where there was literally nothing to see. So you were seeing things mm-hmm. for a second, a third time. But, like... I just feel like it's like a missed opportunity that it's only one week. And the 600 theaters thing is actually very interesting to me because it is not that many theaters. So I'm very curious as to how they're deciding which theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure it's going to be like the top grossing theaters. But this news went everywhere. Like people mm-hmm. offline, people out of film Twitter are aware of this. And I think it's going to be huge. And I think that it's going to help push it into the awards conversation more than we were like anticipating because Mm -hmm. people are going to see it. Like it's going to get people to tune in if the cast of Glass Onion is at the Oscars. And the way to do that is not to have them present. It's to have them be nominated. Like whether it's Janelle Monae or whether it's the screenplay or whether it's in picture or whether it's Jacob's best friend, Kate Hudson, like. It, they I mean, also we should have Kate Hudson presenting awards though. We should yes. just have Kate Hudson everywhere. We should have time. Kate Hudson with her dirty martini hosting the Oscars. Literally. Dirty martini in one hand salad in another. Yep, exactly. Giant Literally. salad. Biggest salad. Um, salad. Yeah. She's shaking no. it. Like, well, <laughs> Um, the dressing (laughs) but I think it's great and it's honestly so exciting but I am so I'm very curious because Jacob you have theater experience so (laughs) when you go to a Netflix theater they play like Netflix trailers only obviously like Mm -hmm. like what trailers do they play ahead of Glass Onion oh I will um what they'll probably probably either do a like a generic one that's already set up for something else or I could see them doing a like intro um, and then just going straight into the movie. So I could see them playing no trailers. Um, they won't play Netflix trailers, but uh, it'll either be no trailers. Or it'll just be a generic they one better that was used record, for another one. They better record the cast. Um, thank you for coming to see our movie. Yep. Um, when I saw Nines Out at Alamo Drafthouse, um, they recorded a don't talk and text with Ryan Johnson with a knife and he like stabbed someone. It was incredible. It was incredible. And they did like this weird um, Michael Shannon, like, is he guilty? <laughs> like zooming in on his face. And it was hilarious. Um, they should do more of that because. I do think it's a good point that you just mentioned though, Kenzie, that Knives Out was a like theater release movie. So I think there's going to be a lot of people who saw Knives Out in theaters who are expecting to see Glass Onion 
in a theater and whenever they see like oh one week engagement they're definitely going to buy tickets to it Mm -hmm. because it isn't like because the previous movie was not a Netflix film Mm -hmm. so I think that's gonna help fill seats as well and I honestly am very curious to see if it possibly gets extended to a two-week release instead of a one-week well and I I will say I was just gonna say um that I think the fact that it's just in theaters going back to the whole awards thing um, means a whole lot because when best picture nominees come out and the films go back into theaters, it would have already been in regals. They would have already known how to, uh, how to handle it. That's last year when I finally decided that I was going to keep nightmare alley in my best picture top 10, it was because I got an email from like corporate that was saying don't delete nightmare alley in case it gets nominated for best picture and i was like okay well if they're confident in it then i'll be confident in it too but um but i was just gonna agree with nicole in the fact of that i think maybe it's in for that week but i think it could either get extended or get brought back later on if netflix plays it right i really hope this um in a way helps the conversation that Netflix has kind of been involved with where they were originally like the place for filmmakers to go like they did with Mm -hmm. Martin Scorsese and Irishman. Now there's been this kind of like, is it really because they're like taking a step back with all their conversations and their weird comments. But I think this shows they truly listened to what Ryan Johnson wanted and how he wanted his film out there. And I think that shows like an extreme confidence in like their relationship with their filmmakers. And I hope that they are able to pull this off for future big movies. And I do not mean whatever the Ryan Reynolds sequel they have worked up. I mean, like, like whatever movies I want to see in theaters. Mm-hmm. Not well, I remember back in 2019, I saw Marriage Story, um, the two popes, Irishmen, Dolomite, and so whatever else they released that year, like at a landmark theater. And I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure they were playing at other non Netflix theaters. And I think it was because they had so many like big filmmakers that year. And then obviously the pandemic hit and they kind of like have dwindled down with who they're able to get. So I feel like this is a good point for them to kind of restart what they were hoping to. I, don't, I feel like they were like on a path in 2019 of like really getting like these two audiences and creating a theatrical experience and then like pandemic came and they had to like be more selective so I feel like this is like a restart for them of trying to get back on track with that because like I feel like all those movies experiences for me with their films are like much better in a theater if they're playing close by you versus like watching them on streaming yeah okay also I- dear god all Quiet on the Western Front is the most like see it in a theater movie I've seen in a while. And it's it a see it in so IMAX. Sad. Like see it in IMAX. Don't okay, be. So they played the trailer before Blonde and they played a trailer for White Noise right after it. And this old guy that was next to me was like, that was a trailer after the All Quiet on the Western Front trailer. <laughs> so I feel like I think the problem with that is like people aren't aware it's a Netflix movie if they know it's coming. And if they don't know it's coming, they don't know it's a movie that's coming out, which is unfortunate. But I do think that 
I think because they transitioned from trying to play in theaters to owning and operating their own theaters that they kind of mm-hmm. lost their footing with getting into other theater chains because the they didn't want to hear they didn't want to partner with them you have your own theaters that's what you're prioritizing but um given they've been working on the egyptian remodel since the irishman ended um i don't think it's going too well for them i know that paris is really successful but like in la like you have to go to the the palisades to go to a, a netflix theater and that is just absolutely insane but I think this is a good step forward and hopefully they're able to negotiate for certain movies. I can understand if they don't do it for every movie, but like Jillian said, like do your award slate at least. Like show well, and- promise in those filmmakers. And there's a reason that like they got Glass Onion and future Benoit Blanc universe, cinematic universe. Is that what yes. we're reading? Thank you for not saying the Knives Out universe. Um but I think there's a reason they paid a lot of money for it. And it's because they're confident in not only the franchise, but Ryan Johnson as a filmmaker. And please green light something with his wife and her podcast. Do it now. But um, let her do my dream project, Post Blonde. Um, but I just think, I think it's a good step forward, but I am very curious, like once they get the Egyptian in LA up and running, are they going to acquire more theaters in major cities or will Glass Onion be really successful and maybe they'll go back to that route of putting them in other chains, but they should really try their best to make it a nationwide thing versus major cities because it Mm -hmm. does not work if it's just major cities. Yeah, no, and I agree. And I guess the last thing I'll say about it before we move on is um, that I think it would be smart uh, you know, they can put their gray mans and their blue mans and their all that kind of stuff on Netflix. Um, Do they have and, one of every color? Because isn't the one with Ryan Reynolds? Something red like Notice. That? Yeah, <laughs> they're gonna make one in every color. Okay. <laughs> Um, but they can do that and they can put that on Netflix and, you know, four people in the world can watch it, but they can inflate the thing and say, oh, this got 40 billion like plays in the first like 30 seconds uh same thing they do with all of their like you know goofy adam sandler movies um but i think once you take one of these awards movies something like the power of the dog or something like you know glass onion which will be both an awards player and a um and a populist film and you put it in theaters now you have like the money to back that which would hopefully give more incentive to future directors of making their movies um but yeah so last in news mario does anyone want to say anything about it i just i've never seen someone unmute themselves as fast as lex unmuted herself to speak about mario (laughs) here's the thing i have never felt so torn and angry and upset and betrayed by a film than I have the Mario movie and I haven't even seen it. Um, I don't know. I, the first Sonic trailer kind of broke me a little bit. No. But the thing about the Sonic no. trailer was it was his appearance. Yep. I, listen, I love Jack Black. I love Jack Black. And I feel like for whatever reason, it may be because he's making slights at Chris Pratt. 
I feel like this movie has started the conversations around Jack Black that I have been waiting for since 2003. Yes. Um, please keep in mind that I named my dog after Jack Black's character in School of Rock. So I can gatekeep Jack Black if I want to. Um, but I want to, I, I thought it was a joke. I thought it was a joke that the day before we get this press release from Chris Pratt, who's like, this voice is unlike anything you've ever heard before. And in fact, I have heard it on Bob's Burgers. He sounds like uh, Linda Belcher. <laughs> and I want to know why he took Mario, an iconic figure in my life, at least, and um, defiled him with his Tina Belcher impression. He took an iconic figure of uh, the Italian people and... <laughs> I, I literally, you know, how, like, you know how like Giada de Laurentiis like came after Ellen for pronouncing penne like penne and she's like it's penne where are those angry Italians rioting over Mario I want to see it okay like my thing is it's so funny because I feel like if it wasn't Chris Pratt no one would care but because it's Chris Pratt we're so angry well mm-hmm. also because it's Chris Pratt and he like he just isn't doing anything like he isn't doing anything like the thing is it's like I understand maybe maybe they were worried about people being like we're pretending he's Italian and it's an Italian character and Chris Price clearly not Italian but the thing is it's like Mario's kind of known for his like over-the-top Italian accent so like it's like almost like a caricature it is and it's like I I just really am confused as to like why you wouldn't get an Italian actor like it doesn't have to be I understand like maybe the iconic Italian actors are a bit too old like Robert De Niro too old should have been Lady Gaga okay I literally (laughs) tweeted that it should be Lady Gaga and people dm'd me asking me if I was okay and I was like are you kidding like there is no more Italian than Lady Gaga okay but like can you imagine Stanley Tucci as Mario? Mm-hmm. The um, thing is that I actually can imagine it, and it I'm so now good. mad I don't live in that world. And I okay, offer not you, only that, but Stanley Tucci and Jack Black voice acting opposite each other would be stop. Stop you for the ages. Do not forget, you're saying this to someone who has a Stanley, Stanley Tucci, Tucci pillow Tucci. in their house. <laughs> but even if you want to go with like the early, like late 30s, early 40s, um, like you know, actor of a certain, you know, has maybe done Marvel films before. Like Chris, uh, Chris Evans was right there. Like, I think if you wanted to Wait, take that more, um, like- I'm, I'm sorry, do you know whose father is Sicilian? Michael Sarah. I'm so sorry. No, <laughs> no, no I'm imagining, Mario. y'all No, let Chris Evans play Mario, but do it with his natural Boston. This is what I'm saying. I think like if I want like Mario, I, oh, I want to see wait. Chris Evans in his Jacob, Boston accent. How far? How doing... far into the Sopranos did you get? Me. One anyway. episode. One episode. My God. Okay. I tried to watch the second one, and then I things happened. And I want I to haven't see back to it. Chris That's Evans so Mario. Listen, I want to see Chris Evans Mario being like, be honest. As yeah, and I want. Like, and then you can do Michael Sarah as Luigi. <laughs> Wait, so that, they was, show... that was the move. And then I'll be Toad. I do a Who perfect is... Toad impression. <laughs> I will yes. be Toadette. I love Toad. Great. <laughs> um, 
Was the person that does the video game voices, like, were they not available for the movie? <laughs> Good question. Okay, great question. Where are and they at? No one um, I'm just going to say. I want to hear their, that's the only feedback we care about. Let people that do um, the- You know whose father is Italian is Bradley Cooper. Oh my God, I knew it was coming to this. Bradley <laughs> Cooper could be Bowser. Also, here's Bradley the thing. Co- we know okay. that Bradley Cooper can actually do like a voice, voice performance. Yeah, because it's like. Okay, well, what about- to be fair, Chris yeah, Pratt can do voice can. performance. Can like- was Tony Danza busy? Like, what is going on? Like, I <laughs> everyone must have been busy. I just everyone. am. I'm honestly like okay, I like also, a good celebrity voice cast here and there. You know, I'm also a big proponent of let voice actors actor. voice act. Like, I want to. Okay, it's like Jack Black, innocent because Jack Black yes. does, yes. and he's very open about how voice acting is literally so such a different craft than acting. Yes, and he's got I Kung think, Fu Panda. Yeah, like he, and you know what? He's able to like really display like the character work that goes into building a voice performance. Yes. That shows with the very- Not every actor is a good voice actor. And that's like not even like a knock against them. It's just like, they're not the same. I I hate to do this, but Zendaya in um, Space Jam is- one of the all-time worst voice performances I've ever heard and it's because that's not her thing like that is not it is not for everyone it's like Natalie Portman did an interview where she said green screen acting is the hardest acting she's ever done and she talks about how she does not want to keep doing it because it's very hard and I think like it takes a lot for someone to do a different kind of acting and there is a reason there are voice actors it's just like like, listen there's a reason it is I don't want my math teacher to come teach my English class. Exactly. It's the same thing. Like, it's a similar skill set, but it's not the same. Um, I, Charlie, Charlie Day's parents are Italian. Charlie Day's I in the movie. The idea. He's Luigi. Is he, is he, He's Luigi. Up, really? Yes. <laughs> okay, well, at least- well, he should have been Mario. He should have been I'm Mario. Like, you know why? He should play both. He should play both. <laughs> I just like the idea, like, to Jillian's point, that, like, the- video game uh voice actors weren't there like i just like the idea that whoever voices mario i like to think that he actually talks that way like that's his <laughs> yeah name. and he like stormed in the nintendo office and i was like what the fuck okay <laughs> I mean, obviously they're, still, they're still making games so they're still around so it's not like, anymore yeah. i bet you they walked out and you now know we're what no i really Smash brothers it. 29 and I... it's gonna be chris pratt being like level up like wait i didn't even think about that are they gonna like are they gonna have him do one of the video games no i will can't. i've been i've been waiting keep his job it says the guy that voices the actual mario voice is going to be in the film as an undis and the people that do the voices are going to be in the film with undisclosed cameos but when like, you said undisclosed they- i thought you were going to say understudies <laughs> 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 Wait, I have I have the casting that we all wanted. Okay, only his father is Italian, his mother is French Canadian, but John Cena could have been Mario. John Cena, oh my god! I still say Michael Sarah is Luigi and me is Toad. I also wait. Steve Carell's on this list. He's not Italian. There's no way. It's the Italian adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you want to know his original last name? What? What? Caracelli. <laughs> it demands the hand. It, it does. does. Yeah. Oh my god! I just—it's just such a like 
I don't know. Also, what about Steve Buscemi? He could have been Mario. <laughs> what we're getting at is that literally any other actor in Hollywood could have been Mario, and it probably would have been more interesting. John Bon Jovi. The Mario, the Mario guy is not even Italian. He's from California. So it's like, if he could do... <laughs> I, fact, for me it's the fact that he literally was like never before done <laughs> original <laughs> never before seen absolutely unique and then this is what we get and it's like the most i mean he's he's not wrong it he is, is never before seen for that cage choice of for words. mario he's like oh nicholas cage word the this. kids the kids are are not gonna be all right they are gonna be upset mm-hmm. they're not gonna they're not gonna they're not gonna mess with this you know what they will mess with is jack black and jack black yes you know what i need this to become the new don't worry darling i need there to be some drama i need there to be like jack black throwing shade on instagram at chris pratt like i need yeah i need their pr people need to step up and like just start <laughs> a video stuff. like i want something. a video leaks of jack black in a car being like yeah uh i think this is gonna be a lesson to mr rat uh <laughs> chris p rat. but he's just he's just playing an accordion while he's driving <laughs> he's on his, his little uh toy saxophone going yeah. Okay, that is that that clip of him on that show with that guy with a uh, the Jimmy one Fallon, of, one of the Jimmys. No, no, where he's like, we one, don't have to say two, his name. Three, motherfucker. Okay, that <laughs> clip has more charisma in it than Chris Pratt's entire career. I'm very sorry, but like, it there, there's no one like Jack Black, and it, Jack just, Black could be Andy you? Dwyer. Chris Pratt could never be in Tenacious D. This is Chris true. Pratt could never. <laughs> do anything i'm sorry i don't I oh speaking of my roommate literally just saw tenacious d like in concert that is so cool i have said my entire life and by entire life i mean since about six years ago that um any role that chris pratt has ever played could be yeah nicole knows where i'm going with this and i'm I'm gonna bring it up uh could be played by jerry trainer of iCarly. And I will die on that hill till the day I die. It's true. And it's, I think, I think Jerry Trainer, who, by the way, was nominated for an Emmy for voice acting once. Bet you didn't know that. I did because I was the only person who noticed. Um, <laughs> Jerry Trainer, if you're listening to this, I love you. <laughs> no shame. I literally wondered how far we had to get in the Chris Pratt conversation before Lexi said that. <laughs> it's a miracle. I, went through, I really thought I was, I was out of the woods. Um, and so it's just, I think even he who I don't know his heritage. Um, I don't think he's Italian. I'm not picking up Italian vibes, but I think even he would have done a better job. Do Italians consider Mario like an iconic Italian? No. Or do you think they like consider him like a like an insult? Offensive. It's like, it's like what they thought about Luca. I think maybe, Luca. I feel like they made me want to reclaim Mario. <laughs> but it's made by a Japanese company. So it's like, I don't think they have any ties to mario other than that he just happens to be an italian plumber you know who we need to get some real italians on the pod for some someone call discourse. lady gaga Wait, i'm right. gonna call luca guadagnino <laughs> i'm gonna call like, live from italy next week and we'll someone get <laughs> out of Billy on the street so i'm it's gonna be lex on the street and i'll be like sir for a cannoli <laughs> what's your opinion on mario <laughs> oh, no. um, um, I'm bushing people, asking them their opinion. 
on this whole Mario conversation with um, Christopher Abbott, Jacob's twin, is Italian. I He could have done a fantastic job. I think he can do anything. I wonder why you think that. Um, okay, so that was news. Uh, let's quickly move on to um, the two big things we were going to talk about this podcast, which are sequels at the Oscars, and we're going to quickly go over the supporting actress race. Um, when it comes to sequels at the Oscars, um, there have been seven movies that have been sequels that have been nominated for Best Picture, uh, and that has been The Bells of St. Mary's, Godfather Part Two, and Godfather Part Three. The Two Towers, The Return of the King, uh, Toy Story 3, and Mad Max Fury Road. Um, technically, I was talking with Kenzie, technically Silence of the Lambs is like a pseudo-sequel, but not enough to uh, really count it in the same. It, I was thinking about it, and I had it included, but then I was like, well, we don't count Black Panther as a sequel, even though it's part of the MCU, so um, I left it off. So there have been seven nominees. And I think this year, we've got at least four, maybe maybe more that I can't think of off the top of my head that are in very, very, very high contention to be um, nominated for Best Picture, which is Avatar, The Way of Water, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Glass Onion, and Top Gun Maverick. Um, so... I'll open up the floor to, I'll start with Kenzie. Um, what do you feel has the best sequel chance this year to get that best picture nomination? And do you think we'll have, you know, more than one for the first time ever? I know everyone thinks Top Gun Maverick is like the sequel that's in contention, but I really feel like it's Avatar. I think that how well it's performed in theaters the first one being re-released has so much to say about not only people wanting to return to avatar but younger people being introduced to avatar i saw it for the first time in theaters during this re-release and i mean it was full of young people like full of young people who were definitely not alive or going to theaters when the first one came out so like I can't imagine what it's going to do. I know it's going to be difficult to measure its box office because it comes out so late in the year and it'll trickle through the holidays and into the new year. But I mean, I, I just don't count out James Cameron. Anytime you bring up James Cameron, he is not someone you count out. And I know people think it's cheesy to say that, but it's like Nicole and I have done a whole, like started a mini series on Titanic. And it's like, the things he went through to get that movie made and then the things he went through to get Avatar made. And like, there is a reason that man is only working on more avatars. Like I, I just, there's a, there's something going on. That's what he, I know. There is an exhibit coming to the North Carolina Museum of Science um, about James Cameron's undersea voyages, uh, literally with like artifacts from all of his deep dives um, and looking at the making of Titanic and like his avatar work. Um, in the in the water so like he's not playing around I yeah. think he's gonna I think also like he's gonna want this mm -hmm. um and I think he's gonna be you know out there 
talking about it and being seen and making sure that people see it. And I think like with how long this sequel has been coming um, and how long they've been talking about it, because like that's the difference between Top Gun and Avatar is that like, obviously the first Top Gun happened a long time ago, but until like Top Gun Maverick appeared, it wasn't like it was in the making in the public eye. Whereas James Cameron's been talking about this Avatar 2 for what feels like 40 years and Avatar didn't even come out 40 years ago. But, um, well, he's got 40 totally more years of, uh, of movies. Exactly, exactly. Well, and that's the thing. Like there's this whole idea that this is like the start of a slew of sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I totally agree, Kenzie. I think that like betting against James Cameron is never a good idea. And like the way Tom Cruise is about the movie industry is James Cameron to an nth degree. Like no one loves theatrical experiences more than James Cameron. Sure, he hasn't recorded a PSA on motion smoothing, but because he doesn't consider watching things at home. He probably, it probably has never crossed his mind. He doesn't know people have TVs at home, but I just, I, I can't count it out. The only thing for me is the way I process Best Picture nominees versus the way people in the Academy probably do is I like tick how many nominations I give a movie when I'm building up how like what's getting into Best Picture. That's the only thing that gives me pause about Avatar because I can't really sense giving it like five or six nominations, um, especially in, like it's a problem for Black Panther as well that the sound category was combined because Black mm-hmm. Panther got into both sound categories. Black Panther got seven nominations, mm-hmm. right? And it won, won four. Three. Won, won three? Four? I think it won three. I thought it won both sound, song, and... Sc- oh, it didn't win song. Yeah, both sounds... No, both sounds, score, and costumes. Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't think it won both. Wait. I feel like it won three. Did it win production design? Yes, it did. Okay, you're right. It didn't win any of the uh it didn't win any of the like sound categories oh because that was yeah that was bohemian rhapsody year that it won <gasps> both of them never ending but i, I think that mistake with bohemian rhapsody because <sighs> it's so forgettable um yeah i think the only thing with glass onion that like gives me pause is that knives out couldn't get in i do think it was number 10 that year but i just I have a little pause, but I do think if Netflix markets it correctly and not as a direct sequel, Mm -hmm. but just as like the same way that Black Panther was not a sequel to any of the previous Marvel Cinematic Universe movies that um, perhaps Glass Onion could rise above that conversation. That's what I do think like Glass Onion kind of has going for it is the fact that it's not a traditional sequel. And I think that if Netflix like really throws its weight behind it, then I think it is the most of these movies. It feels the most like best picture-y to me if it were not a sequel. Does that make sense? Like, like if it, it also, wasn't a sequel, it would just be on your list in general. Exactly. It also is of the four sequels. It is the only one, in my opinion, sorry to all Tom Cruise fans, if there are any out there, it's the only one with real possibilities of having above the line nominations, where Mm -hmm. it could get supporting actress, it could still get actor, it could get, um, it's, I mean, it's probably definitely going to get adapted screenplay. Um, And then there's also a slew of below the line nominations, 
like production design, editing, um, all that kind of stuff that can pull it together. That something like, you know, Avatar is not getting any acting nominations. Um, Black Panther, maybe if Angela Bassett is really that good. Um, and I, Tom Cruise is not getting in for Top Gun Maverick. Um, I will just stop that whole conversation now. But... Um, and everybody talking about Tom Cruise at the Golden Globes needs to remember what Tom Cruise did with his Golden Globes. Um, <laughs> I So, okay, I want to figure out, are will the Golden Globes, like the HFPA, are they going to, like, acknowledge it and, like, create, like, a quote-unquote moment about it? Like, the Tom Cruise Award. Coming. But the thing for me is I worry that if he goes everyone will go and we will just move on from the controversy surrounding mm-hmm. the golden globes and with brendan fraser in the race i feel like that's really insulting um but for me top gun maverick the only thing it really is going for it for me to consider it in best picture is its box office which I don't avatar really and black panther will are going make to make over a billion dollars like it's it's it glass onion of course can't if glass onion makes over a billion dollars it's winning best picture i'm sorry um but if avatar avatar and black panther are almost guaranteed to make over a billion um which will almost make the top gun thing feel kind of you know um at least lessen its impact i think with black panther i'm kind of i don't see it getting like a lot of I think it's the story which I'm kind of concerned about because I feel like they are putting in a lot with the comics and like from what I saw from early footage like I think Angela Bassett like I hope Disney does her right and pushes her and doesn't try to do what they do when they like put everyone in even though no one like not everyone should be in like she's just so I don't know, just watching those scenes of the trailer and then like the stuff that I saw, she was just so powerful. So I'm like, if they play their cards right, I feel like they could get her in. But I'm still like iffy on if like the story is going to deliver in a way mm-hmm. that the first one did because it's just so much they have to tackle, obviously with like Chadwick no longer being with us um, and kind of having to wrap that up while also introducing a lot of other things. Like it could fall from like, normally a marvel sequel is like very hit or miss so i think that it's going to be interesting to see like what that reaction is and same with avatar like the avatar 2 like it literally looks so stunning um and i think the story is interesting there too oh but i think it just i feel like they could both suffer the same thing of like visually it's like amazing and it's been a lot of hype around the sequel, but like if the story doesn't come together, because like what they're doing with avatars, it was interesting to me, but it was also hard to follow for like how they continue on with like the families. Cause yeah, that's like what the second one is about. But yeah, I don't know. Cause I'm like, I'm waiting to see like if they come together. Especially for that makes makes me so worried for Black Panther if if the screenplay like you know, does what it needs to do. Mm-hmm. With Top Gun Maverick, I definitely think it's very technical, which is like, I said this in a few podcast episodes ago of like, just what we've accomplished in 36 years for 
you know, like flight sequences and like just the idea of the of filmmaking as a whole, but like you could also use that argument um, with Avatar, especially James Cameron and what he's done to like advance technical aspects of it. But I think like with these big blockbusters, it just suffers from like just technical areas and no one sees them past like their, their worth or value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, I definitely think, especially in, uh, you know, like we talked about with Black Panther and Glass Onion, that there could be um, some supporting actresses, which will move over into um, our supporting actress race and where we see that coming right now. Um, I will start with Lex because I know she has to leave pretty soon. If you want to go ahead and throw your five out there and then we can... Um, if you want to talk about your five and then we can just go down the list and get everyone else's kind of out here pretty quick. Sure. Um, okay. Let me pull my list up. Sorry. Okay. Um, I don't know how to work Google Docs. Okay. Uh, so my top five right now, number one, I have, um, Claire Foy for women talking. Um, again, this is one of those where it's like, there's what I think is going to happen and what I would like to see happen I would really really like to see Claire Foy win um not just because I'm currently deep in the throes of season two of the crown but um (laughs) um but I do also feel pretty good about having her at my top right now um again I, I talked about this a little bit last week but right now I feel like who the front runner is is going to change a lot because we're in that last quarter of the year where a lot of the big front runners are going to get pushed out. So um, I have her my number one right now. I have Jesse Buckley for Women Talking as my number two. I have Carrie Condon for the Banshees in, of Inisherin. Um, Am I saying that right? Yeah, Inisherin. Inisherin. Okay. Um, don't want to sound dumb. Number four, I have Stephanie. Uh, Sue. Sue. Uh, for everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, again, that's a, she is probably going to end up lower on my list, but I still have her in my top five right now. Um, that's one I would, again, really like to see happen. And then number five, I have Janelle Monet for Glass Onion, which is simultaneously one that I am 90% sure is going to actually happen in terms of nominations, but I would also like to see it happen, so. Yeah. Um, Kinsey, what's your five right now? So my five, I have Nina Haas and Tar at five. I think that it's really hard for someone to break through when um, the movie is like a sole focus on like the lead actor. But I do think her name is singled out and like any and all reviews which is something given it's literally one of our best working actors like garnishing career best performance reviews um for Cable and Chat but I do think that the movie performed really well at the box office for the four theaters it was at over the weekend and I think that is going to help Tar in other categories and I could see Nina Haas picking up critic awards along the season And I think that could help her get into the Oscar five, but I have her at five just because I'm, I want to see how she does with the critics. And then um, I don't think she needs precursors to get in if Tara does well overall at the Oscars, 
but I have her at five. Just I'm a little hesitant about it. I have Carrie Condon at four for the Banshees of Inisherin. Um, kind of the same thing. She is singled out in a lot of reviews, and it's like reviews that are like, "This is Colin Farrell's best work in decades," which is not true. It's not even his best work this year. But um, but I just I think that's amazing for her, and I think that um, this is going to be a front front runner for original screenplay, and I think that um, she'll break her way into the conversation for supporting actress. I have Jesse Buckley at number three for Women Talking. I think that Jesse getting in for The Lost Daughter was not a fluke. I think that she is going to be one of those actors who was nominated all the time at the Oscars. And I think that she's just going to continue to pick up awards that she rightfully deserves. Um, I have Hong Chao number two. I had her at five all year, like literally since we launched Oscar Central. Um, but I moved her up to two. I think that supporting actress cannot be dominated by two movies. Um, I know it's hard when there's a lot of ensemble pieces because they split everyone into supporting versus having co-leads nominated and lead. Um, but Hong Chao was very close to getting nominated previously for a bad movie. And while The Whale is controversial, I don't think anyone's considering it bad, just not their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas her previous movie that she almost got nominated for was a bad movie. Um, and then I have Claire Foy at number one. I think Claire Foy and Women Talking is going to be a big deal. And even if she is unable to pull off a win, I think she has two Emmys. And one of the, like one of those Emmys is for five minutes of screen time in an entire season. Um, but like, I just think that she's undeniable in general. And then in the movie, I'm sure she's great. And I know that it's a very meaty part. And I think it's also a part that's very different to the type of work we're used to seeing from her, which I think is something that'll help push her through towards the top. But I also think being in a movie contending for best picture is going to help all of the ladies from women talking and the one singular man. But um, yeah, for now I have her at number one. But like Lex was saying, I think like if you're the front runner, you kind of have this weird mm-hmm. um, target on your back, like in any category. But I do have a piece coming out this week about supporting actress and my thoughts on all the ladies in contention. Um, but I will say Dolly Dilan is someone I would die to get nominated. I'm not sure if Neon's going to be able to pull it off because of the movie itself being a little unwatchable for some people. But um, I, I have my eye on her. Plus, I think, because I moved, I moved her up in my list, but I also think you have to get past a certain point of the movie that a lot of people, I think, watching it at home will maybe turn yeah, it off like, at that I point. I think the thing for her getting in is not only to be in the room with people, because from what I've heard, her being in a room with an audience is just like, an amazing thing that like people can't count her out as a person which is mm-hmm. so important when you're campaigning but if you're seeing in the movie in a theater not only will it be harder for you to leave during said sequence but I think that people working screenings will be able to be like you can come back in now which is mm-hmm. not something you could easily do at home I feel like you would just turn it off so I think like people seeing the movie at screenings or in theaters is going to be really key to her getting nominated. But Neon has pulled off Stranger Things before. But like, I just think that this is a little different. And this category is full 
of women who have either been nominated before or in the conversation before. And I think that's like a little bit of a hill to climb over for her, but I think she can be in the conversation at least. I think she would be amazing in a, um, either actors on actors or a round table. Like I think she would mm-hmm. be amazing and it'd be such a fun conversation. Like her and Jean Smart in a room together, I would love to see it immediately. <laughs> But I just think like her getting in front of people and people watching the movie is like the biggest hurdle for her to overcome. Um, Anna, what are your top five? I, oh boy. So in my fifth place, I have both Dolly DeLeon and Nina Haas. Now I have seen Triangle. I have not seen Tar because I live in the middle of nowhere right now. And it's very unfortunate. Um, I have them tied because I can't decide. Um, I am worried about Dolly because of um, what we just talked about. I think that a lot of people, you have to get to the third act to see her shine. And um, the movie's a lot. It's very intense and not for everyone. And there's definitely um, a part in an act where a lot of people might shut it off or leave like we talked about. Um, but she's phenomenal and I didn't hear a lot about her like I didn't hear a ton of praise coming out of TIFF which I found surprising um, Mm -hmm. unless I just wasn't reading the right things but um, since the New York Film Festival she's been exploding on ads like she even got um, they added her to like poster billing I, I think she's like on she's just like a part of a lot of promo now that she wasn't previously um, and I've heard a lot about Nina Haas and I, like I said, haven't seen it. I'm excited to, but there's a lot of momentum behind Tar and like 95% of the reviews that I have seen or heard are positive. And so I think that she has a good chance because of the momentum. Um, I have Hong Chao at four. Um, I missed my whale screening at TIFF, so I I have not seen it, but just from what I've heard, um, she's phenomenal. Um, I have Jessie Buckley at three. I think she's gonna keep doing the Sersha Ronan thing where like, oh, she's nominated and like, oh, does she have a chance? Oh, not this year. Um, I think that's gonna keep happening with her. Sorry? I said Nicole Literally. <laughs> the thought of Sasha Rodin no. not winning. Don't even. And I am such a fan of Jessie. I love her. Um, I saw her and I'm thinking of ending things and her performance. There's, there's a, I love that film. I need to rewatch it. Um, there's a scene in that film where she recites this poem called Bone Dog. And I believe it's called Bone Dog. Um, yes and it like gave me full body chills there's like a fourth wall break and ever since that moment she has been on my radar and I'm just so excited to see her in anything I loved her in women talking um and so I want to include her in my list even though I still have Claire but I wanted to include her in my list um two I have Carrie Condon I also missed my Banshees screening at TIFF because of my half hour walk from my hostel and bad timing. It's very sad. Um, but I've heard amazing things about her. I'm really excited for the film. 
And then I have clairvoyant number one. Um, I, I don't know. I loved women talking. I loved her performance. She was so powerful. Um, she and Ben Wishaw were the only two that like their monologues or moments like made me actually like tear up. And um, I think. Did you just tear I, up? Because I wish that had been my experience. I Well, okay. I did more. Ben, than said, ben said five words and like broke me. Yeah, yeah oh, no, I, was, I did. It's lucky there I stayed in my silent seat. tears. <laughs> um, so yeah, I loved her performance. I am a fan of her. I would love to see her win this, and I'm very confident in her. So we'll see. Um, Jillian, what about you? Um, at number one, I have Claire Foy for Women Talking. I had Claire and Jesse as one and two, but after seeing the movie, I feel like it has to be either or. And I'm also conflicted because like, I feel like they give two very different performances in the movie, which is good. But I feel like Claire is definitely more present for her role and then like the part that really hits you with Jesse like comes in later and then it's like that part where I'm like I could possibly see her also getting it but I'm kind of like conflicted on where I want to place them but like watching Claire it really reminded me of First Man and how she was in that and so it's like oh my gosh fantastic but I think like my takeaway from watching Women Talking was just like that was the stronger performance for me um, and then I have Carrie Condon for number two for Banshees because they just she's like one of those things where it's like that's the heart of the movie like that type of narrative and I feel like she was one that I wasn't really suspecting with a supporting performance in Banshees that wasn't a male performance um, and I just like loved her in the movie. And then um, for three, I have Hong Chao for The Whale. Haven't seen it yet, but I think this past few years, she's just been really climbing up the ladder of like just really good supporting performances. And then at number five, I have a tie between Dolly and Angela Bassett. Um, I think everyone has said like reasons for Triangle of Sadness, why it like I don't know I'm like hoping that it could work and like the people in the screenings I think everyone brings up good points that that's probably like more way for coverage for her versus audience screenings and like if the voters are at screenings hopefully that they will watch and like she's just such a powerhouse in that third act um and like literally the definition of supporting actress and I think she has such like a chilling turn that was just really scary to watch um and then Angela Bassett just because like you watch that trailer and when she says like have I not lost everything or like lost my family I'm like uh like every time like that's the part of the trailer that gives me chills and from parts that I've seen of her and Black Panther Wakanda Forever I'm just like let's get Miss Bassett her Oscar like let's get her something and I feel like she's really gonna carry that movie um all in all but yeah that's who I have um, and I will say, I do think that she has a good shot just because of the type of role that she'll be playing in that movie. It's a role that the Oscars love to nominate that sort of like grieving mother. We talked about it last week with Till as well. Um, but Nicole, what are your five? Yes. Okay. So 
in my fifth spot, let's see. I have Janelle Monet um, for Glass Onion. I feel pretty good about her getting in, but I also feel pretty strongly that she's not winning. Um, I, in my fourth spot, have Carrie Condon in um, Banshees of Inishirin. I think that that is a performance that I've seen a lot of people talking about after seeing the movie. A lot of people sort of taken by surprise by how much they liked it. And I also feel like it's one of those movies where the fact that I also am predicting for Colin and Brendan to get in means that they could easily carry her with them. Even though she is a like lesser known name. They also um, um, put out a new trailer for it that has like yes. four or five scenes of her in the trailer. So I feel like there are noticing the critics response to her performance yeah i agree i um in my number three spot i have hong chow for the whale um i think that that's a masterful performance and again i think that you know with brendan um probably winning for best actor um he's definitely gonna pull one of the two women with him um, and I do think that Hong Chao just has the better role than Sadie does. But I also, considering, you know, where other awards go, could even see that being a thing where they both get in um, in a sort of unexpected move. Uh, let's see. And then I have Claire Foy and Jesse Buckley sitting in my number one and two spots right now because I think it's very likely that they both get in. I personally have Claire winning, but I'm not totally sold on that narrative yet I think that it could we could in the next couple of months sort of see a switch and see Jesse Buckley sort of push ahead see them push her ahead and I wouldn't be shocked by that but I think for me the thing with Claire Foy is a we know that Claire Foy does well with voting bodies um you know we saw her win Emmys for things that it was like she got nominated for that um and then she won uh, but also I think that like that performance for her was a lot less like what's in her normal wheelhouse. Whereas I feel like not that Jesse Buckley's not good in it, but I feel like we've seen a similar thing from Jesse Buckley, even last year in um The Lost Daughter, that sort of frustrated, angry, you know, mother thing is what she was doing. And I feel like it's similar enough. Um, whereas what Claire is doing is quite, you know, different for her. Um, I think this should be a really worthy winner and I am sticking with her for now, but, you know, I, I want to sort of see what women talking does over the course of the season before I sort of decide which one of them I think is getting it. No. Um, and for, as for my five, I have right now, Stephanie Sue in at five for everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, Janelle Monet in at four. Uh, which I do agree. I don't think she's going to win, but I really, really, really think she has a good shot of getting nominated, especially for the kind of role she is playing um, and everything like that. I think she does give a very good performance. Uh, Hong Chao at three for The Whale. Um, I do think of the two supporting actresses from The Whale, she has the much better chance, and I think she gives the much better performance. Um Carrie Condon at two for the Banshees of Inishirin and number one, Claire Foy for Women Talking. I do think, I think her and Jesse Buckley are almost playing two sides of the same coin. Um, and I think it just depends which one they're going to go for. Jesse Buckley, of course, has the pedigree of being an Oscar nominee. Um, 
but I think Claire gives the better performance of the two. Um, which speaking of, you know, women talking, I think in the supporting actress race this year, there are a lot of ensembles that could we could see breaking through. Uh, we didn't talk about anyone from She Said, um, but, you know, we've got women talking, which is going to have multiple, multiple women, um, not just... Uh, not just, you know, Jesse Buckley and Claire Foy, but there's also, you know, others that could be making it in um, as well, or at least getting, you know, praise or look. Um, we also have, you know, Glass Onion, who we talk about Janelle Monet, but then there's also Kate Hudson, who does give a genuinely, like, funny performance. And if any category nominates comedy it's supporting actress we've seen that multiple times in the past um and we've also got of course she said you know what are they going to do with zoe and carrie and then everyone else with that and then we also you know in a little slight further back we do have the woman king where um you know you've got lashana lynch you've got um does anyone know how to pronounce the name better than i would I don't really know for sure, but Thuso Madubi, Madu, I'm so sorry. I <laughs> yeah, really that's why. Yep, but Thuso it's really like Madu, frustrating to maybe. me because it's clear category fraud to put her in supporting, yeah. but she gives such an incredible performance, and it's against yep. Viola Davis. Like, and I'm sorry, like she's incredible in the Underground Railroad, and to like do that with Barry Jenkins and then follow it up with this is just like an incredible start to a career and honestly in my just world both she and Lashana would get in and maybe Sheila Ateem as well okay all three all three yeah. like I that movie I am desperate for it to get into SAG ensemble I think it is like the definition of a perfect ensemble it they're all working at their best and not like they're like just but also working so well together and like no one's ever stepping on one another everyone has an opportunity to shine like the brightest they've shined on a movie screen in so long and it's just like it's such category fraud she's here but she's so so good in that movie and she has so many scenes that could be oscar clips it is that movie should be getting 11 nominations, but we're not ready to have that conversation. But I yeah. also think, um, I know the reviews are terrible, but The Sun. I was about to say that one as well. Two people that have former nominations and one has a win. So I feel like you can't just count it out. But, yeah. and then like Babylon. I where is Margot Robbie going? That was that was gonna be my next question, actually. You've heard if, of where is Valdo? I if Margot I, does end up going supporting well, then Jean Smart is DOA, like mm -hmm. she's not happening, but because I've heard her parts very small, but it's very comedic and very like you can't take your eyes off of her, obviously, because she's Jean Smart, but like it's very good. But I'm just like there's no way Jean Smart gets in if someone like Margot Robbie, who has more of a role in the story, is in this category. Like, there is absolutely no way. It would be funny if um, if Michelle Williams left this category, who is 
again, very much a supporting performance, not a lead, and was replaced by like Margot Robbie, who, you know, who everyone thinks that. is going to be the lead. Um, I do wonder though if them doing that is because they're very confident in Diego Calva's performance. Mm-hmm. And I do hope that is the reasoning behind it, not just because there's a Michelle Williams sized hole in this category, but it's just like, can they just say something? It's like the same thing with Marcel the Shell. Like, just yeah, you don't Make have to show anyone the you, you don't have to show anyone the movie. Like, it's fine. Just like tell us where she's going so we all don't go crazy. Like, I just I don't. It's infuriating because. I feel like my five feels really great, but the problem is I like everyone in my five and there's always one performance I do not like in this category. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they win, Laura Dern, Marriage Story. But like that is- I also feel like there's, the there's typically a surprise of some sort. Like Jesse Buckley last year, I feel like was there's a always big a surprise. surprise. Mm-hmm. And I, that's why I'm trying to figure out who I think that could be. That's sort of my thing I, with Sadie Sink is I think- she well, could end up being thinking, the surprise. I've been thinking that Samantha Morton in either mm. she said or the whale because she has yep. very small parts in both. And like, there's always someone who's kind of in multiple movies that's like in this category. Yep. As of late, like, and I'm wondering if maybe they do honor true supporting performance, especially if someone like Carrie Mulligan is in supporting when she's clearly a co-lead. Obviously, I haven't seen it, but I'm just saying, like, yeah. it feels like she's a co-lead. If she gets shoved in here, it's like on top of the women talking, women taking over the category because they don't pick a lead. They just put them all in supporting. I do wonder if maybe they surprise us with one actual supporting performance in the category mm-hmm. that's, like, very brief. And her being in two movies would, like, help put her over the edge. But I'm also like, what if they do like the opposite and they do Patricia Clarkson, who's like just a name in a movie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. love Patricia Clarkson, but her role is will... generic. I will say to you, though, with Women Talking, it is one of those movies where I do feel like putting all of them supporting is valid mm-hmm. because it's such an ensemble piece that like I couldn't pick a lead in it. Um, what if yeah, they just pick Frances that... McDormand for her three seconds on screen? <laughs> lines, yeah. yeah. Like I, I think for that her it lines is of like I'm leaving. She wins. It again. is like a rare occurrence where I'm like, yeah, that's fair. This movie doesn't have a lead. Um, the lead is the patriarchy. <laughs> you want to know? You want to know? Okay. And I, Hollywood I, would. I, <laughs> it would. This all depends on if. Um, if they actually pick up this movie as from the Academy standpoint, and it does, you know, do well at the screenings and it does well with voters. Um, But I do still think, which is weird to say, there is somewhat of a world where maybe Jamie Lee Curtis could be like a surprise fit. I mean, I think of Sadie Sink or Jamie Lee Curtis. Can I tell you what, can I tell you what movie I thought you meant? What? Halloween Kills. <laughs> Same. I was like, Jacob, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, no, let's get her. Let's get her the the Halloween Hell nomination. Yeah. I was like, we can't do this. They nominate year. trauma and lead. horror representation. <laughs> Can you um, 
No, I, I was thinking. No, I if, thought you were gonna say Dakota Johnson. I was like, listen, as the Dakota fan of the group, I just had to. Oh no! I I I I hope and I pray, but I've that that movie's for me and me only, and that's okay. I've also been wondering about um, Greta Gerwig, just because I Mm -hmm. feel like I always knew that White Noise would play well at the New York Film Festival because it's Noah Baumbach in New York, but I just feel like that movie's had like a resurgence, and like the reviews are very very positive. They're not, and I feel very strong about it in adapted screenplay mm-hmm. and i know people have talked about don Cheadle also getting nominated and supporting actor and i am sort of wondering once you're considering it for that many like with a name like greta gerwig and it being a return to her acting under noah's direction you know well you you also have um which of course i haven't seen till but you also have you know whoopi goldberg a former winner who's going to be at least the in that I don't I've talked to who've seen till said like they don't think that's happening yeah but... I heard that she is kind of like one note and kind of just mm-hmm. there to like move the story along but yeah. she is like a name and a former winner mm-hmm. like you said yeah and has really great eyebrows painted on her face yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> I'm really worried about Till come nomination. Just I heard Josh Parm talking about this, but um, there is just a lot of people who are unaware that the gruesome murder is not in the movie that are just not wanting to see it because of the subject matter. Um, But I will say when I took my parents to see The Woman King when they were here, it was the second time I saw it. they added and I, it was in front of um uh tar for me too it's not a trailer for till it is the director producers uh-huh. um a few people from various studios that help produce it and get it out um talking about the movie and they very plainly state that the murder is not in the movie and they state over and over and over again that there is not violence towards black people in the movie like on screen that it's just like discussed Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think they're aware that that's going on and they're gonna like they're putting that out there so people will feel comfortable to go see it and not be scared to see something so awful depicted on the screen but that's the only thing that really gives me pause about Till but I do feel like if people see the movie that it's going to pick up more nominations than we are thinking especially if they can get it into adapted screenplay if they I was gonna say have, happen, has there been has there been like any confirmation on if it is adapted or original? no but what's crazy is um I can't think of his name but the the guy that wrote it or like that originally wrote it for um like based off his documentary he's in the thing I was talking about that's like attached to the movies that I saw um so I'm like, if he's there, wouldn't you just push that as like mm-hmm. this adapted off of his work? Um, because I think if they can get it into adapted screenplay, you're, you have potential for it to pop up everywhere. And mm-hmm. then that could get it into picture as long as it's seen. And I know they did it at the New York Film Festival and they're talking about doing it at other places it's playing. They are taking um, schools, like kids to see it. So I think that they're, if they're able to push it as like an educational thing, they can really push that it's adapted off of a documentary. Yeah. Um, but 
yeah. Does anyone else have anything they want to say about supporting actress before we move on? I don't think so. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's a really strong category this year. Like, I think that there's some really great performances in it. Um, it's one that, you know, obviously, even though it does have the Michelle Williams hole in it now, I do still think it's it's one where... At least well, this far, I feel like any performance that won, I'd be happy with it. I like. So... I obviously haven't seen like the sun and Babylon and she said and the whale, but like I really love everyone on my list as like a performer, and like it's exciting to, even if it's not the performance. Like I love Laura Dern. I was happy when she won for Marriage Story, even though I don't like that performance, and it was not my favorite of that year. It was not my favorite Laura Dern performance of that year, but like I. It's like, I love all these women, women, the power of women. Like, I don't know what to tell you, but this is a great, great list. And honestly, it's kind of nice. Michelle Williams is out of here. So more, more of these, like more of these performers can get in. Like, cause if you look at it, a lot of these would be first time nominees. And that is as much as I want Michelle Williams to have an Oscar. I also would love to see Jean Smart or like Nina Haas or, Hong Chow finally get an Oscar nomination like that is something that's so exciting and those are all possibilities because there's one more slot essentially as long as they don't pull a Lakeith yeah true um well uh I guess in the last thing that I want to ask before I move on to the winner of the glass onion tickets um today is Guillermo del Toro's birthday and with me being the number one Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio fan, uh, just going I around. That picture of you on the train and like conducting it is just yes. like, I Literally can't believe I was there to photograph that's that. true art. <laughs> um, I guess while I go figure out who's going to be the winner of the Glass Onion tickets, if everyone wants to go around and just kind of state your favorite um, Guillermo del Toro movie. And maybe a couple words of why you like it. I feel like Nicole has to go first. Yes. (laughs) I was literally thinking like, okay, Jacob might be Pinocchio's biggest fan, but I am Crimson Peak's biggest fan. Um, The amount of times I've watched that movie. There's new Super Yaki Crimson Peak merch on the horizon. Wait, really? Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to have to own it. Uh, (laughs) Crimson Peak is my comfort film. Nobody questioned why the ghost incest movie is my comfort film. Um, no, truly though, I have such feelings on that movie and Del Toro as a director and the fact that he managed to like perfectly create an original Gothic horror film, which it's so rare to get like a really well done one. That's not based on a book. Um, the fact that it's not based on a book actually blows my mind because it feels like it should be. Um, but also obviously uh, I love Jessica Chastain and Tom Hiddleston in it. Um, my, my two faves. And I also, and this is, y'all are going to laugh at me for going here, but I've watched a lot of like interviews and stuff from whenever the film was coming out. And I just think often about um, the sex scene in the movie and how Del Toro was basically like in sex scenes and films, women are typically the ones who are undressed. So what if we reverse that and we keep um, 
Mia like dressed the whole time. Um, and it's Tom that we make show his ass. And Tom Hiddleston was like, let's do it. Um, they need to put that in think... the Madame Tussauds uh, thing rather than Loki. <laughs> but I just think a lot about, you know, that that sh- really says a lot, I think actually about Blake Del Toro as a director and the way that he's thinking about films and how he portrays female characters and the level of, you know, analysis and thought that he's putting into it. Um, yeah, it's, I love that movie so much. It is a perfect period drama. And also as someone who uh, just, you know, Victorian ghosts are my thing. That movie is very much my thing. This is all reminding me, I've not watched it in like a solid two weeks. So I need to go put it on. <laughs> yeah, especially um, especially now that it's it's spooky season. It is spooky um, season. Yeah, I, I'll go to continue with spooky season. What I really need to watch, uh, Pan's Labyrinth is my favorite uh, for now, of course, until Pinocchio comes out. Um, but yeah, I just want to reiterate, like going on about uh, how he talks about film. And I think technically I had to wait until October 10th to talk about stuff from this uh, long form thing. So I'm going to talk about it now because that's when the podcast is going to come out. Um, but just hearing how he talked about, uh, you know, Pinocchio and how he talks about what he loves about cinema and what he loves about um, every every aspect of it, not just um, not just the films that he makes or live action, but like the animation and uh, every art form and how he truly treats it as an art is um, is super is super. Um, it's just nice to hear. Um, Kenzie, what is yours? So for the longest time, it was Pan's Labyrinth just because I think that movie is, I think it's what Harry Styles was trying to say, like a movie, movie, like it is, it is so encompassed and it is just like such great world building and it shows exactly what Guillermo del Toro is so great at, but I, I love Nightmare Alley. I think it's a perfect adaptation I think it is an amazing ensemble. I think there are people I wish were in it longer, but I think everyone is perfectly cast and well used. Um, but listening to him talk about it last year at a Q&A was just one of my favorite movie experiences ever. I don't think anyone loves movies more than him. And I think it really shows in that movie, like this, the way they shot that movie is just something Uh, really transcends it and I think that's the reason it got into best picture was because you can't ignore like the links they went to to make it look so rich and so lived in and um it's one of my favorite Bradley Cooper performances I think it's great but I also think it's one of my favorite Kate Blanchett performances she seems like she's having the time of her life um and her lipstick is just stunning um, but I love that movie so much and I never thought something would top Pan's Labyrinth for me, but I'm so excited for Pinocchio and the hot cricket. I also just love that Del Toro was like, uh, they were on the set of, um, of Nightmare Alley and Kate Blanchett was like, get me on this movie, please. And he said, all I have is a, a monkey that has no lines. And she was like, perfect. Um, <laughs> But I mean, like, that's, like, the kind of movies that he makes is that people will do anything. Like, people like Kate Blanchett currently has two Oscars, probably is about to have three. It's like, I will have no lines in your animated movie. Just let me be in it. Like, Mm -hmm. 
that is how he is as a filmmaker and that is why no matter what he makes I will be seated and I really hope that um, it seems like Netflix is building a great partnership with him mm-hmm. and I really hope he's able to find a home like Netflix and kind of just like have a budget to do what he wants because while Crimson Peak didn't make a lot of money financially it's like, I mean, everyone I know thinks it's one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. And whether or not they like the movie itself, like it is such a beautiful lived in movie and like his haunted mansion, not coming to fruition with Ryan Gosling will keep me up at night forever. It is my villain origin story. Like if that was the plot of Joker, I would understand. Like I would literally understand Joker finally. (laughs) But like, (laughs) I just... I it's I can't imagine what we would have gotten and it's really depressing it would have been my whole personality so it's maybe better for everyone who knows me that it didn't come out wait how funny is it Subriaki's making Crimson Peak was good like shirts and they're in they also tweet constantly about um Haunted Mansion from Guillermo del Toro yep I feel like you're Subriaki am i secretly <laughs> like i'm letterboxed and no i'm just kidding yeah. we know who letterboxed is finally <laughs> um anna what about you oh boy i do i love a good crimson peak i i do an annual watch usually um i love the Fishboy movie I, yes like it genuinely i do love no movie. i'm glad i'm glad someone said something about it I do. It's it's so the first time I watched it, I didn't really know what I was getting into. Um, and I wasn't like this was before I was like super into film and I finished it and I was very confused. Um but it like left a mark on me and so I've revisited it since and been able to appreciate it more. And I just love it. It's just I, I love it. Um I love Nightmare Alley a lot. Like a lot, a lot. Um, everything Kenzie said, I echo. Yes, I agree. Um, but I think I think it's still Pan's Labyrinth for me. That was um, one of my first, like, I didn't see it until film school and it was assigned in class. And so I took my little laptop by myself and went and watched it. And I just like, it was like you're a kid again and it's like a fairy tale and you're just absorbed into this story and this world and I love the creatures that he does and he's if you watch behind the scenes he's so passionate about making you know these creatures and he's so excited about like the Pinocchio behind mm-hmm. the scenes short like he's so excited about like the technicalities of it all and like bringing these critters to life and he's just like in love with his monsters and I just think it's it's the most amazing thing to watch someone like that be able to create and like make a world that you can get sucked into so I still think it's Pan's Labyrinth for me but he's he's so awesome he'd he'd be such a cool dude to sit and chat with yeah well and to go just one more thing to go with the Pinocchio and how much he actually loves that he was talking about in the um in the Q&A press thing that I did that he actually wanted to make a stop motion movie was that going to be the first movie he ever made and his whole set got like burglarized and so he said that this Pinocchio he put a lot into it because it was like a like a full circle back to like where he wanted to start 
um, with this one. But yeah, I agree. Just how he, I think one of the, my favorite things about him is the beauty that he can find in these kind of creatures. Um, Jillian, what about you? Um, my favorite would be, I think, the shape of water, um, just because I think it has one of the best film scores of all time. Where, like, every time I listen to it, like, weird, like I don't, I feel like I am in the water and the shape of water, and I'm like, I've never felt that way about like a score because obviously they can like transport you to places, but this I feel like the composer literally like was underwater and was like how do we get this how do we get this to sound like underwater so that's like I love that part about the movie I love the amphibian man played by Doug Jones um I just feel like every like element of it was done really well like from the production design to the score to the costumes to the characters I like it's just like it really shows like how each piece together like creates a film and I think, mm -hmm. like, from what everyone has mentioned, like, that's something Guillermo del Toro just, like, knows so well. Um, and I think that one, for me, was, like, where I really saw it. And it was, like, such a weird, like, it's a weird romantic story between a fish and a human. But it's, like, people watched it in a one best mm -hmm. picture. Like, I think a lot of people always freak. When people talk about, like, oh, the Academy doesn't do genre films. It's, like, that's a fantasy film, right? So they're, like, a World War like post-World War II Soviet fantasy film about a fish and a human falling in love. And that's what he he did. So I, I really love that part um, about his filmography. Cause I, I feel like people always skip over that one of like mm -hmm. its impact on the uh, Oscars. Not to mention, uh, and I love the Richard Jenkins nomination, but Michael Shannon gives probably my favorite villain performance like of all time. Um, but uh, last thing about Del Toro before we move on, Cabinet of Curiosities coming October 25th. That's going to be my little not sponsored plug for Del Toro, even though he doesn't need it after he literally murdered someone this week on Twitter. Um, but drum roll from our Glass Onion uh, contest. It's going to be Miss Morgan. Uh, Miss ML Roberts on Twitter. Um, that is who we have decided behind the scenes is our winner. So we will get you all of that information um, and have fun watching Glass Onion on us. Congrats, uh, Morgan. Yay. Um, to sign off, Nicole, where can people find you online? Okay. Um, first of all, I'm going to say, because Lex told me to, uh, because she had to go, but, um, you can find Lex on Twitter at Alexis Willie underscore like W I L L I underscore and on TikTok at Moonshoes Lexi. Um, and then you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd at Nicole Ackman 16. And I'm also on TikTok. Why not? At Nicole Brittany 16. Uh, Jillian, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Letterboxd and Twitter at Jillian Chili and TikTok at Offscreen with Jillian. Anna, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at It's A Media, and I finally made a link tree. And yes. so that's in my bio. And oh my God, welcome! Sponsor, link tree sponsors. 
I didn't realize how easy and simple it was, and now I feel like a fool. Um, but it's there, so just click that if you're interested. Kenzie, where can people find you? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Kenzunu and Instagram. I don't really use Letterboxd because I use it to um, log what my daughter watches. And she's been a bit behind. She is not a fan of movies right now. So a little sad. So I'm not on Letterboxd. But I do support Letterboxd social media. Yes. Um, you can find me online at tberry57 um, everywhere. Twitter, Letterboxd, wherever. Um, you can find the show online at Oscars underscore central. You can find us online at oscarscentral.com where we have reviews, news, articles, all the, all the works coming up. Um, and until next time, that's the show.